0: Uh, So this morning we're going to be in John chapter 3, famous Nick at Night chapter. So uh, again, if you just want to make your your way to John chapter 3, let's read the chapter together and uh, begin this time of worship in, in the Word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered, Truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said this to you. You must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I told you earthly things, and you do not believe, yet can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up in this, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him must or may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because of their works and were evil. For everyone who does not, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem because the water was plentiful there. And the people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing. All are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to, his, to, to this, that God is true. For he, who, for he whom God has sent utters the word of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. Lord, we just thank you so much, Lord, uh, just as we have the opportunity to come and worship in this crazy time and that that we're living in in this world. And so, Lord, uh, Lord I just ask right now, Lord, that as, as Jackie has prepared a message for us, Lord, and that your Holy Spirit would intervene, Lord, and speak to all of us, Lord, that we may carry that, that we would... Put it in our in our hearts and our minds, Lord, and apply it, Lord, at home and at work and in all our relationships. So, Lord, even as uh, Nicodemus, Lord, he was he was a, a just man in his eyes and from from other people, Lord. And uh, we just pray, Lord, that if if there's any seed of of morality, Lord, thinking that there's uh, a good person here, Lord, let let that be cast out, Lord. As as we all need you, Lord. Your Word says that without you, we are nothing. And so, Lord, we don't want to dismiss your authority. In, in this country, Lord, we don't want to dismiss your authority in this town uh, or in our homes. And so, Lord, we ask right now that you would speak to us, Lord, uh, that you would carry us through this storm uh, of the season of life that we're in, uh, in this uh, communities and across our country, Lord. And uh, we ask, Lord, that you would come and come quickly, Lord. And uh, Father God, we just pray that you would uh, anoint the message, Lord, anoint the lips and the ears. And uh, we just ask that your presence uh, would abound heavily here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: as we look at the Gospel of John, we're going to focus in this morning on the first eight verses, because you're pretty sure I can't do that whole chapter, right? I might be in chapter three for six months, we'll see. There's a lot of stuff here we want to unpack, and so every week, we'll read the whole chapter. We want to keep our context, right? Stay focused on what's going on. You did come. I'm sorry, Nebbies. Were you in the back? Oh, you just came late? Okay. <laughs> Nebus was waving at me because I said he wasn't here. Um, so we're going to keep our context, right, as we go through the chapter. But we really want to focus in. Because remember, the Gospel of John is unique, okay? The, the, when, you, when you go to Bible college, they talk about the synoptics, synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke. These are going to follow basically the, the same timeline. John's not synoptic. John says, I've written... This to you, that you may believe Jesus is a Christ, the Son of God, and believing you would have a life in his name. So he has a purpose, right? And so he's going to use two things. He's going to use discourses and signs. So it's going to be, we're going to see miracles, certain miracles that Jesus does, certain signs John's going to focus on, and certain discourses. And today we begin in chapter 3 with a discourse with uh, Nicodemus. What's the matter? Don't be afraid. I uh,
0: move <laughs> I'd like
1: you to live. You're pretty sure I, I...
0: Hey, tripping is real.
1: <laughs> oh my word. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Lisa knows for sure. So, as we look at it, this discourse with Nick, we a friend of mine calls him Nick at Night. So, Nick at Night has come to Jesus. Nicodemus is Come before the Lord, and there's a lot of things we want to unpack and see, because every discourse points backwards and forward. So you remember where we left, chapter 2, we just finished Jesus cleansed the temple, and then you had a lot of people, the Bible says, believed in him, but Jesus didn't entrust himself to any of them because he knows what's in a man. So the end of chapter 2, Jesus was pointing out the wrong kind of faith in people, those people, they, they believed in him. And we use these phrases are so common in the church. I believe in Jesus, right? And, and we say these things, but, but here Jesus points to a group of guys after the cleansing of the temple. And he says, these guys all believe, but they didn't quite have it. The Lord didn't entrust himself to them. He's, he's like, I know what's really in their heart. Sometimes we struggle with that idea. What's really in my heart? And so John chapter 3, Nicodemus goes to talk to Jesus. And John says, here, I'm going to show you. The Bible teaches us in Mark, it says that Jesus commanded all men everywhere to repent and believe. And in John chapter 3, Jesus draws the picture of what repent and believe looks like. It's important for us to kind of sink our teeth down into what the Lord has for us. So we're seeing as we look at this discourse, there's two things that are going to spring out of these first eight verses that we want to focus in on one of those is we need spiritual birth and we need to understand the nature of spiritual birth so we're going to be looking at those two things as we dive down into this so he begins right John chapter 3 verse 1 now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus I wish I could say it in Hebrew it sounds so cool but I won't even try Nicodemus we'll go with that one because I can do it a ruler of the Jews. So there's several things. He starts right out in verse 1. One, we have he's a Pharisee. Now here's what you need to understand. Pharisees and Sadducees were not pals. You guys remember the song in Sunday school? A Pharisee is not fair, you see, and a Sadducee is sad, you see. These two guys, these two groups, these two sects are what you would call today conservative, Pharisee, and liberal, Sadducee. It's not new. We've been divided over ideologies since Genesis chapter 3. So we have these two ideologies, right? The conservative, Pharisee, the liberal, Sadducee, they don't get along. You know who runs the temple area? Sadducees do. Sadducees do. That's all the money. Sadducees were the wealthy of the wealthy of the wealthy. In fact, they made a lot of money buying and selling and trading money at the temple. And it seems like in chapter 2, Jesus did something there. You remember? He went in and he cleansed the temple, right? He went in and he drove out the money changers. He went in and he, he pushed these guys out. Now, that brought to the attention of the conservative group, the Pharisees. Hey, hey. you see that, man? Jesus went and got rid of all them liberals, he pushed those guys out and so so he must be with us but Nicodemus not quite sure he wants to be named with Christ yet so scripture tells us he goes at night he's a Pharisee and he's a ruler of the Jews member of the Sanhedrin he's a member of the Sanhedrin now we're going to see what we talk about in chapter 3 with with Nicodemus you're going to see the conclusion of it at the end of John. You're going to see Nicodemus do something with Joseph of Arimathea in plain daylight that mark them as followers of Christ. But for now, he's going to go in at night, and he's coming in with nice words. Look what it says. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. Now, this is the middle of Nicodemus' sentence. Whenever somebody gives you a lot of flattery, what usually comes after the flattery? It's a three-letter word. That erases everything you said before. But we know this and we know this, but we're not really sure whose side you're on. I don't know exactly what Nicodemus was going to ask. But if you look at the next verse, it begins with Jesus answered him. I do know this. He didn't get around to asking it before Jesus gave him the answer. And when Jesus gives him the answer, it's going to be upsetting to him. It's going to frustrate him. So he comes and he says, I know that you can't do this, for no one can do the things that you do without God. And so Jesus answered and said, truly I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he stops Nick in the middle of his sentence. And he says to him, You can't miss this. Everything you've done so far has not got you one inch closer to saved. The Pharisees usually, typically, would at least memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. How many books do you have memorized? They'd memorize. In fact, I met a 13-year-old when I was in Israel one time who had the entire book of Deuteronomy memorized. The whole book. I know a lot of people who don't even want to read Deuteronomy. <laughs> had it memorized. Look, they were strict followers of the law. In fact, they had a sect of Pharisees who would take the law and then draw out for it the, this is one of the things Jesus has against them, They would teach, as the commandments of God, the traditions of men. So they would say, here's how you fulfill this. Here's what the Bible says. Here's how you fulfill it. And they'd have this drawn-out plan on how to be righteous, how to be holy. Everybody who passed a Pharisee on the street would say, that guy's righteous. He's morally good. He's a great person. He's a great example to follow. They would tell their children, you want to be like that. Jesus would say, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Right now, Jesus is looking at a man who spent his whole life, he's probably my age, so let's put him around 50, and he's telling him, everything you've done so far has not saved you. Your moral life, your goods, the good things you've done, that hasn't saved you. What else do we know about him? He's successful, right? He was part of the rulership of of Israel, he was part of the rulership. He, his life, he made his life about rising in the ranks until he was approved by his fellow man to be part of the leading council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. Right? That's, so he's successful in life. But the 50 years of becoming successful in life did not save him. The other thing that we know about him is he is wealthy. He had a lot of money. And so his money, Jesus is saying, that has not saved you. All the efforts of your life for the last 50 years, when Jesus says, except a man be born again, he will not, what's the next word? See the kingdom of God. Your Phariseeism is not going to get it done. Your successful job is not going to get it done. Your money is not going to get it. It's not going to get it done. None of these things are going to grant you entry. In fact, Jesus is saying you need to forget all your tradition. You need to be born again. Now, there's another way to translate that phrase: "born again" to born from above same word the word can be translated either way hasn't really changed the meaning that much it means to be born from above be to be born again born from heaven that god does something to you god is the one who does the saving right do you save yourself i can't save myself you can't save yourself <clears throat> are there things that follow our salvation for sure for sure. There's things we do that follow our salvation. But first, first you must be born again. You got to be born from above if you're even going to see the kingdom of God. Now, John doesn't use this phrase often, kingdom. He doesn't talk about it very often. The other, the other gospels talk about it much more. But John here is getting us to the point. We saw in chapter 2, the end of chapter 2, a bunch of guys who, who believed or said they believed in Jesus, but they didn't really have a saving faith. And Jesus looking at a man who's lived his life morally, successfully. Everybody on earth would point to him and say, man, that's the guy you want to be like. That's the one you want. you want to put his picture on TV. You want every, all your children to be like him. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said you must be born again. So Nick gets frustrated. You ever had somebody say something you interpret as insulting and then the next words out of your mouth aren't the most intelligent things you've ever said? That ever happened to you guys? No? Man, I remember somewhere, I don't know where I read it, so it's probably not true, but it's a statistic. And so all fools use statistics, and all statistics fool. So the statistic was, when you get angry, you lose IQ. Now, some of us, IQ didn't start all that high. And I really can't afford to sacrifice much of it. So I have to learn not to get angry, right? Not to get, you know when it happens. You get angry, your heart starts to beat faster, and the third thing that happens is you can't think. And then after it's all over, at home, sitting on a couch, dang, why didn't I say this? I could have said that, and I could have said this. Right Then it all comes flooding back. Same thing happens to Nicodemus. He's just been insulted. He's just been told that everything he lived his life for doesn't measure up to salvation. And so he's, he says, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Now, it's fairly obvious to most of us that Jesus is using a, a metaphor here. And I'm sure after this conversation, Nick went home and sat on his couch, and he's like, That was the dumbest thing I have said in a long time. Can I climb back into my mother's womb and be born? No. <laughs> I bet you knew that before you said it, though. But he's frustrated, he's confused. What Jesus has just done and what he's gonna do in this whole chapter, and if you will see all the pieces of this chapter coming together, it's so beautiful to see. Jesus is telling him, your whole life, Nick, you've been trying to save yourself. And you can't save yourself. And I can tell you're trying to save yourself by how you are identified. I'm a Pharisee. That's my identity. That means I'm a moral man. I do good. I'm Sanhedrin. That's my identity. I'm a successful man. All of these things that were a part of his life are stating that he is trying to save himself. Look how good I am. Look how moral I am. When Jesus talks about the prayer between a Pharisee and a tax collector, you remember how it sounds, right? Two men went to pray, a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee stood before God and said, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like that guy. I'm not a sinner like him. I'm not a dirty, rotten tax collector. I'm a good person. I'm a moral person. I do good things. I make good choices. I'm a successful person, Lord. I thank you for all of that. The tax collector beat his breast and cried out to heaven, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said he left, this word is important, justified. The Pharisee did not. Nobody would have pointed their kids to the tax collector and said, you want to be like him? Little Johnny, you want to be like this guy? This tax collector rips people off all the time. He sided with the Romans. Whatever things they used to say about tax collectors, nobody used him as an example. They might have used him as a bad example. Little Johnny, this is a bad example. Don't be like him. Be like this guy. He don't drink, he don't smoke, he don't chew, he don't date girls who do. <laughs> Are we any different today? Don't we have pharisaical ideas that are traditions within the church? These are the things that make me holy? I just want you to think about that idea for a moment. What makes you holy? What makes you holy is whether or not you are in the presence of the Lord. Because he is holy. Remember Moses, burning bush, what did the Lord say? Take off your shoes, Why? You're on holy ground. How come? The Lord was there. Right? We're going to discover the same thing occurs when we get born again. Who lives within us? Don't you know that your body is the temple of God? What did Paul say? Don't you know that you are a holy dwelling? He's going to say then... You, so therefore, if you are light, you should have no fellowship with uh, darkness, right? You have holiness within you. Don't get, let's stay away from the dark. Let's walk into holiness. But what makes you holy? Who makes you righteous? The Bible says, 2 Corinthians five twenty one: He who knew no sin became sin for you, that you might become what? The righteousness of God. We need to be Transformed what jesus is saying right you must be born again maybe if nicodemus could have thought it out a little better he would have said something like this maybe he would have said a man is the sum of all his yesterdays he is the man he is today because of all the things that have happened to him throughout all the years he's a bundle of doubts and uncertainties wishes hopes fears habits good and bad building up through the years. It'd be wonderful to break away from the past and make a completely fresh beginning. But how can this possibly be done? Can a physical birth be repeated? Since the lesser miracle, a physical birth, is impossible, how can I catch a vision for the greater miracle, the remaking of a person's essential being, what the Bible calls regeneration, a new creation. You must be born again. So Jesus answers him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I believe Jesus is going to describe what he means by water and spirit. However, for the last 2,000 years, great theological minds have argued about it. And they will continue to do so. And none of the issues really uh, upset the apple cart of what's going on. But I think when the, when the Lord talks about being born of the water and of the spirit, he's talking about physical birth and spiritual birth. You have to be born once to be alive. And then when you are saved, you are born again, born of the spirit. You have a spiritual birth. If you've been born twice, you only die once. And death is a gateway to the presence of God. If you are born once, you will die twice because death is still a doorway to the presence of God but it's a doorway for judgment so as we look at it he says a man must be born of the water and born of the spirit you must be born again Nicodemus all the questions you had when you came don't matter at all we can argue endlessly about a lot of silly things but the one thing that you must know beyond a shadow of a doubt is you must Be born again. You must be born from above. You must be physically born and you must be born of the Spirit or you will not enter the kingdom of God. You will not come in. And then in verse 6 and 7, he describes it. He's going to lay this idea out for us. Look, I want you to see it. He says, That which is born of the flesh is. Flesh. So I would say he's talking about the physical. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel. Don't be confused. Don't be astounded. You must be born again. I love this whole section of scripture because... The Lord is going to describe it all for us. So as we go throughout this week, I just want to encourage you, spend time reading John chapter 3 because things are going to jump out at you. Jesus is going to say in John chapter 3, just like that snake had to be lifted up in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. You remember that story? The snake lifted up in Numbers? Children of Israel disobedient. They get bit by a snake and they're dying. Fiery serpents, the Bible calls it. Fiery is, fire is always a symbol of judgment in Scripture. So the Lord sent these snakes for judgment. And they're biting the people and they're in pain and they're dying. And people, I just want you to picture it. When people get bit and they're dying and they're writhing on the ground, what's going on? People are surrounded and trying to help, right? They're trying to help. They're on the ground. They're, they're trying to think of what can we do. They're trying to give them medicine. They're trying to give them stuff. They're trying to think of what can we do. What do we do? That guy just died. Oh my gosh, we got to keep working. We, maybe we can save this guy. And so they're doing all this stuff to try to bring about salvation. And the Lord says to Moses, go take a symbol of this judgment. What did they put on the brass pole? You remember? Snake. Put a symbol of the judgment. And lift it up, and then he said, "Tell everybody to do what: dip in the water seven times." Oh, yeah that was a different story. <laughs> uh, run around the symbol, being very quiet for six days, and on this—that's no, not—that was a different story. What did he tell them to do? Look at it. Now just listen. That means stop everything you're doing that you're trying to save yourself. Just stop it and look at me. That's what Jesus is telling Nick. Stop all this stuff. Stop all these things. Does it mean being morally good is bad? No, of course not. Is there anything wrong with making good choices in life and being successful in life? No, of course not. But he's telling all those people who are laying around on the ground and weeping over the pain in their life and who are perishing, he's telling them, just stop trying to save yourself and look at me. Exodus. The children of Israel are gathered at the Red Sea and coming down behind them is the Egyptian army. And the people are freaking out. Moses, you bring us out here just to kill us? Well, you bring us out here. You brought us between a rock and a hard place. And in front of us is this red sea. We had no place to go. The people are crying, and they're trying to think, "What can we do? What can we do? What can you can't climb that mountain? Can't climb that mountain? Can't? I can't swim." The Israeli people hated the water. Hated the water. All the scary things in life came from the water. Yeah? That's why the Bible says in Revelation, there will be no more sea. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know what the Lord told Moses? Tell the people to be still and see the salvation of their God. This work of salvation that John is describing for us in John chapter 3 is not a new idea. God's been saving his people this way all along. All throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again. Then the Lord comes to Jeremiah the prophet and he says, listen, I want you to, I'm, I'm about done with all my prophets. At the end of the destruction of Israel, when Israel is destroyed, the people come back, Ezra and Nehemiah, that's the end of the history of Israel in the Bible. Chronological history, Nehemiah is the end in the Old Testament. The prophets, all the minor and major prophets exist prior to or through the exile and to the return, and that's it. And then what do we have? A bunch of silent years, 400 years of silence. God said to Jeremiah, one of his final prophets, God said to Jeremiah, tell the people there's a new covenant coming. Watch for it. So the Old Testament people for 400 years are watching for a new covenant. Not like the old one. This one's new until the coming of Jesus Christ. Who proclaimed, I am the new covenant. And what's he going to say? If the Son of Man is lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. If you look at me. All those guys in John. Chapter 2 saw what Jesus did and they believed in him, perhaps for what they could gain. I don't know what was faulty about their faith. I just know their faith was faulty. It wasn't trust in what Christ has accomplished for them, it was trust in what Christ can do for them. That's not the same. I've known a lot of people in my life in ministry. I've known a lot of people in my life in ministry who trust Jesus as long as Jesus does what they want. Fix my marriage. Get me the girl. Those are all Disney cartoons. That's not real life. Real life doesn't work like that. In real life, the Lord says, just trust me. Just trust me, no matter what. Trust in what I have already done. I have been lifted up. You trust me. When the Bible, when Jesus calls us to repent and believe, yes, there's a lot of sin we commit. And we could go through a litany of confessing all the different sins we've committed. But here's the sin he wants you. Here's the sin he wants you to repent for. The sin of trying to save yourself. Stop. Identifying yourself as a Pharisee. Stop identifying yourself as a Sanhedrin. Stop identifying yourself as this or that. And start identifying yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. And what he's finished what he 's done, we were worshiping a while ago, and as we were worshiping, i don 't know if this ever happens to you, oftentimes in worship, I can't sing no more, because if I did, it'd sound like a turkey goblin or something, because i 'm crying. A tears start rolling down my face. It used to happen to me when I did worship those of you who remember way back in those days. And I'd be singing and all of a sudden I'd just stop singing. Usually that meant I was crying. So you're going to have to carry it. I can't do it. But when I'm crying, it's because I'm catching a glimpse of the all satisfying beauty of God, of Jesus Christ. I'm catching a glimpse of the fact that he really is everything I need. And all this other stuff, just stuff. But what I need, what I really need is Him, a glimpse of Him, seeing Him, being identified in Him. That's what enables us to to look at the circumstances of life and choose to celebrate the positives. I did it for the first time in 55 years a few days ago. Uh, Remember something negative happened and, and I was in a really solid place and I celebrated the beauty of the day instead of the whatever the thing was. I don't remember what the thing was anymore. Had so little power over me because I had caught a vision, a glimpse of the all-satisfying beauty of Christ. Now, the great goal of a believer is to lay hold of that all-satisfying glimpse so that that is all you see. You no longer see your cancer. You no longer see your illness. You no longer see the fact that you got a job you hate or you don't have a job, or that your husband doesn't love you, or your wife doesn't love you, or that everything in your life is turning upside down. None of those things have the same effect because you have laid hold of the all-satisfying beauty of Christ. We sing songs about it all the time. Man, you lay hold of that. And everything else in this world will grow strangely dim. And all of a sudden, there's this seed of joy that sprouts up within you. And when that happens, I just hear the words of Jesus. I told you. You must be born again. Not trying to do it yourself. Not trying to accomplish it yourself. You must be born again. You must come face to face. Not with the earthly, but with the heavenly. Jesus says here, I say to you, singular, Nick, I'm saying to you. And then he uses the plural word in the Greek, you must be born again. He's not just talking to Nick. He's talking to us all. You must be born again. You must repent of trying to save yourself and put your eyes on the prize. And allow that transformation that God does. Because what it means to be born again, how do I know if I'm born again? How do I know if this happened? He changes you. You change There's a transformation that takes place. Listen, he goes on in verse six to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So don't marvel, you must be born again. Paul would write in Titus three, five, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by what? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Paul's describing being born again. It wasn't because of something we did, some work we did. We didn't have to run around a pole a certain amount of times. We didn't have to do. You ever notice how many times God delivers his people different ways? Because if he always did it the same way, we'd be using the method. Right? Right? If, if God healed leprosy the same way every time, everybody would be doing the same thing. I'm going to spit on you, make mud, rub it in your eye, now you won't be blind anymore. But the Lord didn't do it the same way every time. Because he knows us. Look, he just wants us to see him as the all-satisfying being that he is. He's it. Everything else has to fade away so when i see him when i look at him what is it that he does in salvation i repent i repent of trying to save myself and i believe that word means to entrust i put my weight in christ i see him as the all-satisfying one i put my full weight into him my weight in christ what's he do for me He makes me a new creation created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has ordained that we should walk in them. Oh, he's still got good things for us to do, right? Good things that we're gonna do, but what is it he does? He washes me in regeneration. He takes my wicked heart, my heart of stone, and he washes it. And he plants within it a seed of future hope. You know why? Because... The Bible tells us we are saved. He is saving us, and we will be saved. So there's a transformation that takes place. We will recognize our full salvation when we see Jesus face to face. Now we have a guarantee of that promise by the Holy Spirit within us. So we still have a struggle, right, between the flesh and between the Spirit. That's still something that occurs within us. But now you have the Spirit to have a battle. Before you were regenerated, before you were born again, you didn't have it. So what do you care about sin? I don't care. What's wrong with it? Makes me happy. Whatever. But when you've been born again, now there's something within you to war with that. To war with it so that God can say, look, these things are not of me. Keep your eyes on me. The all satisfying one. Keep your eyes on me. I'll give you everything that you need. Everything you could possibly ever want or ever desire. Peter would write in 1 Peter 1, that according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience unto Christ and the sprinkling of his blood... May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be, what did he say? Born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, ready in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Look on him. What do I have to do? Look on him. What do I have to do? You don't have to be a Pharisee or a Sadducee or part of the Sanhedrin. You don't have to have money. You don't have to have anything you have to be still and watch the salvation of your God Jesus commands all men everywhere repent turn from trying to save yourself believe put your weight in him I'm old I got to push on something every time I stand up all the people who are laughing are gonna have to do that one day too I remember people, I remember laughing at guys who said, Oh, I get up in the morning and I get up like this. Oh. That's how I get up now. I can't just roll out of the bed. I gotta put my hand on the nightstand and push up. I gotta swing my legs over. I sit up and greet the world with a heavy groan. Oh. When I get up. In order to stand, I have to put my weight on something. I put my feet into the ground. I put my hand on a chair. When we stand, our weight has to be in something. When you go through life, you have to put your weight in something. You have to believe in something. Don't believe in yourself, that's a waste. Don't believe in the church or the preacher or some other thing. You put your weight in Jesus Christ. Put it in him. Put your eyes on him. Ask God. Pray, Lord, give me a glimpse of how satisfying you are. What did the psalmist write? Taste and see that the Lord is good. He said taste. He didn't say know it. We all can say, I know God's good. Good. Be a testimony of his goodness. Know it. Taste him. See him. And know this. You must be born again. You cannot save yourself. Something only God can do. You have begun the journey to understand it. We have a few more verses to figure it out, but we don't have time. told you I couldn't do the whole chapter. We're going to look at it again next week. Hopefully wrap it up the idea of what it is to be born again. Listen. Repent of trying to save yourself and put your weight in Christ. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We can study your word. We thank you for the opportunity that you give us, God. We thank you that we can gather in this state. I thank you that we can praise you in this state. I thank you Lord that we are able to worship and I and I also thank you that I don't have to have their permission. I thank you God that you are my king. I thank you that you are the all satisfying one. I've had a lot of things in my life, varying success on the right or on the left. And none of those things ever gave one ounce of satisfaction like I have when I see you. When I feel your presence. When I can feel your joy as I, as I sing songs of praise. When I feel you inhabit my praise nothing is as satisfying as following Jesus Christ nothing is as satisfying as hearing him whisper into my ear Jackie do you love me more than these nothing no matter how wrought with pain or suffering in the past as long as he was with me I had everything I needed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learned that. Listen, King Nebuchadnezzar, we will never bow to you. So, like Esther, they said, if I die, I die. So, cast into that fiery furnace, they went, and Jesus went with them. no matter what we walk through in this life, thank you for my brother Weston who gave testimony to the goodness of God at his own wife's celebration of life. Not just knowledge, God is good. He has tasted and seen. He knows the all-satisfying power of the presence of God. I Thank you, God, for my sister Casey who prayed for me on the last time I ever saw her. Not because she was consumed with her own suffering, but because she was consumed with the power of a holy God. Thank you, God, that... Our world all around us is burning and on fire and chaos everywhere and and complaining and division. But in the midst of the storm, I see my King. I long for His presence and I will walk through whatever storm He calls me to just to hear, Well done. All of these things are possible because I am born again. I am not who I was. I am not yet what I will be. But I know the King of Kings. I have tasted. I have seen. Jesus says to all men everywhere, repent and believe for you must be born again pray God your people cry out to you for the truth the reality of your tangible presence pray God that they hear take off your shoes you are on holy ground not because you're perfect but because I'm in you. You are mine and I am yours. For his banner over me is love. God, be glorified
0: and give us a glimpse. In Jesus' name, amen.